Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News on a cold, snowy, drizzly, sleety, thunder, sleet kind of day in Dallas, Fort Worth. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello, fellas. How are y'all doing? I am cold. Are you sure Thunder Sleet isn't the name of a of a band, of a heavy metal band? It should be. Isn't that a great name, Thunder Sleet? It is. It was an yes. ACDC release. <laughs> Thunder Sleet. No, please don't, please don't sing. Yeah, please yeah. They, sing. they sound just like that. That was a good <laughs> yeah, exactly. representation of ACDC. Thank you. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yes, it, it, it was thunder sleeting here uh, in, um, near downtown earlier this morning. At least one clap of thunder. We have a Crazy small, stuff. We have a small glaze of ice and snow on, uh, on our little courtyard here. Yeah. Really? Ours it's has nice. been, you know, we didn't have... Early this morning, it just, it started, what, about 7, 7.15 here, but it was just very minimal. And then, boy, within an hour, it was, streets were pretty well coated around here. Yeah, ours are too, and it's still coming down now. Uh, it's supposed to be bad tomorrow as well. So, uh, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, don't think about doing it out in the car or on a walk. Uh, I suggest not to do Stay that. Stay home and listen to us. Stay, stay warm and stay listening to us and, and we'll heat up your conversations. <laughs> You're advising people to not even go outside, Kevin. Is that it? <laughs> That's what I'm advising people not to do. Not even go out. Well, you know, I hate to say this, but my paper was not at the end of the driveway this morning. I was not shocked by that. Oh, that's that's a very good thing to say on a Dallas Morning News podcast. Thanks, <laughs> I know it. Thanks, Kevin, for I know. I had, I, I probably shouldn't have brought that up. Uh, hey, gonna uh, force me to say mine wasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, I uh, I pulled out of the house on Sunday morning to go to uh, the grocery store, and I just happened to notice that uh, there were papers lying around in the driveways of, or the, the alleyway of a bunch of the little townhouses here. I hadn't noticed it before, and so I was all happy and excited, and um, I got home, and I went on our little homeowners association Facebook page, and if you ever want to hear first world problems, go on a homeowners association Facebook page. <laughs> But uh, then I found out that a lot of people had received papers that they they didn't subscribe to. So, um, yeah, yes, I guess I, I I don't know what that says. It just says that we're a very generous organization and that we're giving out free papers occasionally. Like one person didn't even want to open the paper. Like they just were willing to give it away. And I'm like, open it, see what see what's inside. Maybe you'll like it. Did, didn't are, want to open or or didn't know how to open it and actually. That's Move probably from page to page. What is this thing that comes in a wrapper? And it's I have to. Of, it's I have to move it myself. I have what to turn this? something. Why can't I just, I just, and it gets on my fingers. What is that? Oh, what is this? Yeah, yeah we don't gross. sound old at all. No, no, no. We're just very experienced. Um, all right. Well, that's enough of all that, Evan. Yeah, I believe that, we're cutting edge. You, yeah. Did you have a story you wanted to tell us about? I had an old person adventure this week. What was that, Evan? Gosh. I, I, I had jury duty. How'd that go, Evan? Um, well, I, I think most people would consider it very fortunate. I was not selected. Um, I'm disappointed. I, I'm the weird cat. I like was like hoping I'd get selected, and I didn't. And I'm no, very. You, I'm, you, I'm, you I'm wanting to reach out to the like 
ADA to find out why I wasn't selected. I've been selected like five times. Um, and it, it's amazing. I used to not get selected, and now every time I go, I get selected. It's well, amazing. and I was juror number two, and they tell you, you know, when you get your number and they seat you at the very beginning, like the lower the number, the higher the likelihood that you will be selected to the jury. So I had been selected the last time I was on jury duty, which, you know, I think was 10 years ago. And um, I, uh, at one point in time, one of the questions that I was asked, the judge said, Mr. Grant nails it right there. And he gave me like, like big thumbs up. And I was like, yeah, all right. All those years of watching law and order SVU really paid off. And um, then later on, the defense attorney asked a question or started to ask a question. And he asked in a very confusing manner. And I, I raised my hand and I said, I have a question. He said, we'll get back to you, Mr. Grant. And he never got back to me. And that's when I knew I was out. I, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't pick you. I would. I would ask you immediately on a jury. Probably, but you know me too well. Also, it didn't help matters for you any that you were you were kept chanting guillotine, guillotine, while that was all going on. I think. Yes, that's from a tale of two cities. I'm sorry that was over your head. I'm sorry. It's. I, I. I haven't <laughs> been reading a tale of. I haven't been reading Dickens lately. <laughs> Was that was that a comic book or something or? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For you kids out there, that was a comic. Or the X Men series. All right. Speaking of comics, well, no, let's no, get no, back no, to well, the, what re- about, the what, real about what about world. my ju- jury story? Do you have well, a jury story, David? Go one? right ahead. You yeah, very, I, I'll, I'll try to be quick. Um, so back in no, uh, this was about five or six years ago. So we're there. We actually they go through, and there are actually about forty of us, and they want to start the trial that day, and. And, and this, this was one of those cases that no one wants to be on because when they, when the judge started asking, Oh, is there any reason you can't do this because of this? People were like raising their hands out of nowhere. But anyway, it was, it was a very troubling abuse case. And, and the defendant was sitting there the whole time, just looking down at a sheet of papers, you know doodling on it while his, while his lawyer did everything. So then we had to go through in the afternoon. We're going through and they're going, okay, juror number 41, uh, your name, please, David Moore. This was about, we had been in there by two and a half hours by then. This defendant had never looked up. So David Moore, what do you do? I cover the Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News. The guy looks up and starts smiling at me. <laughs> He's one of yours. He's one of your own, David. Then starts to make eye contact with me, and I'm going, this this is not going well. Yeah, you wouldn't like that. That's not a good thing to be linked up with a, a serial abuser. Uh, but that's just uh, that's just your fan base. That's who you're connected to. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, sure. All right, speaking of uh, speaking of that, I, I think the Cowboys have, uh, have certainly uh, made things uncomfortable, let's say that, for their fans in the, in the last, uh, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks. But uh, they may be uh, starting to, to turn things around. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if uh, it was really Kellen Moore's fault that uh, Dak Prescott threw 15 interceptions during the regular season and two more in the playoffs. Um so, David, let, let's start with that. Uh, and the fact that Kellen Moore was out of work for about 20 minutes and ended up with Justin Herbert. You know, if the guy was being punished, yeah. I don't think this is how it works, is it? That <laughs> no, you go from not. Dak Prescott to Justin Herbert? Holy cow. Well, very quickly, let me say, I, I think 
There are a lot of Cowboy fans will disagree with your narrative that they've been uncomfortable for the last couple of weeks. I think they yeah. would argue it's been for the last 27 years. Well, yeah. But uh, to, well, time to flies when you're having fun. Yeah, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, to, to me, the this shows you that the narrative that so many fans have here about Kellen Moore and how he doesn't know what he's doing and and how he's holding this offense back and what has he done to Dak and uh, none of this makes sense, get rid of him. And then basically they agree on a late Saturday evening mutually to part ways. And before Kellen Moore can even drive home, the Chargers are saying, hey, we'd love to have you here. And he winds up, you know, they announced the move on Monday afternoon. So I, I would say that's a pretty good indication that people around the league have a higher opinion of Kellen Moore and what he has done and what he's capable of doing than most Cowboy fans have. Uh, but now to me, so now you get to a why, why was this done? And let's, let's look at the bigger picture and let's not get into play design or, or protection schemes and all of this. Let's just, let's just cut back and look at the dynamics. Um, Kellen Moore has been with Dak Prescott every step along the way. He was here as a teammate first. Uh, in fact, his injury uh, opened the door for Dak to move up the depth chart to start as a rookie. Um, then he was his position coach the next year. The last four years, he's been his offensive coordinator, in large part because Dak Prescott actively lobbied for Kellen Moore to become the offensive coordinator. They've had a very collaborative uh, partnership, but it's more along the lines of, of two peers rather than an offensive coordinator quarterback, right? Uh, the, the dynamics of the relationship started in a way where this is much more two peers who have a mutual respect go along and do that. Now, very quickly, let's go for and We've talked about this before. Kellen Moore has interviewed for seven head coaching jobs in the last two years. Hasn't gotten any of them yet. So his football acumen is recognized. But I think some people in the Cowboys organization will tell you, well, he doesn't have a commanding presence. Um, and you have to have some presence as a head coach. And that is where uh, Kellen needs to improve and get better as he gets older. Uh, so now if you say that is true, that you don't have a commanding presence, you have, you have more of a peer or a relationship that started out as teammates, and in some ways you're indebted to your quarterback for getting you the job. How demanding are you on a day-to-day -day basis when things go wrong? How much do you push and challenge and say, no, we're not going to do it that way, we're going to do it this way? So I think these were all questions uh, that the Cowboys worked through uh, at the end of last week and determined as good as Dak and Kellen Moore have been for each other during their careers here in, in Dallas, this was a logical time to kind of break away and, and reset it. And, and when you hear the Cowboys talk about, you know, maybe we need someone else in Dak's ear, I think that's what they mean. I think they want, they want someone who's going to challenge him a little bit more, push him a little bit more, question the way he does things. Um, again, not to overhaul the system, but just to be a little more demanding along the way. And, and that's why, and I think Kellen uh, came to see this as well. And, and Kevin, as you said, working with Justin Herbert 
isn't a bad thing. This is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. And now very quickly, how will that dynamic be different? He's coming in as a clear-cut offensive coordinator who's done it for four years in this league, who has not worked with Justin Herbert before. So that dynamic and their interaction is just going to be different from the start than it was with Dak Prescott and Kellen Moore. I've got a question. Um, Does this move in any way become more of a referendum on Mike McCarthy because he's going to start calling, he's going to start play calling? I would respond with another question. Is it more of a referendum on Mike McCarthy or Dak Prescott? Well, you guys, what do you guys think? I got to tell you, I, I really do feel like uh, what's happening here is is interesting because just what uh, David was saying a while ago about challenging Dak. You know, since Tony Romo was here, all we ever heard about was making the the, the roster and everything more Romo friendly. Then we heard the same thing about Dak. Let's make it more Dak friendly. Let's let's bring in the right kind of players around him. That was certainly one of the decisions about bringing in Amari Cooper. Uh, and then, you know, the fact that he did campaign uh, for uh, Kellen Moore to get the job as offensive coordinator, these are things I'm sure they were factored into decisions that the Cowboys made. And now they've gotten rid of, of not only uh, Kellen Moore, but also Doug Nussmeyer, who's the quarterback's coach. So it seems to me this is a little bit of a tough love approach. All right, we're, we're going we're gonna to take you out of your comfort zone here. We're going to ask you to do some things that you haven't done before. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, and, and, you know, because here's the thing. For all those Cowboys fans that I had to keep explaining to uh, who were writing me and, and saying, why don't they just get rid of Dak? I said, well, he counted $89 million against you in a dead cap hit this year if you get rid of him. That's ridiculous. That's that's uh, that's a, a, a season killer if you try to do that. Um, but after this next year, uh, when the 31 he, – he's got $31 million guaranteed this year. He has no guaranteed salary in 2024. I really do feel like there is a there is a possibility out there. If if Dak has the kind of season this fall that he had this last fall and into the playoffs, I think there's a real possibility he is not the Cowboys starting quarterback in 2024. Well, I I'd, I'd follow that up, Kevin, with this. If Dak has the same kind of season that he had in 2023 that he had in 2022, I would bet that Mike McCarthy's not the head coach either at that point in time. So I, 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 I think you're right. I think that both those, I think that everybody could be out. I think that Jerry could be fed up enough uh, after that, that, uh, you know, cause this, isn't this the way it always is when you see a, a head coach is, is a little bit of trouble. He gets to get rid of his coordinators first. Well, they didn't want to get rid of Dan Quinn, obviously, cause the defense played so well, but they did get rid of an offensive coordinator who was unpopular with the fans um, but as David pointed out, a guy who's well-respected in the league, they could have kept him, you know, there was, there was no real reason to get rid of him other than the fact that I, I buy into the fact that maybe he just needs another voice in his ear. And, and certainly that does happen plenty of times. And I, and I certainly agree with, with, uh, David's assertion about Kellen's and, and maybe what people are saying on the inside. He's not a commanding presence. I can't imagine Kellen Moore as a head coach, not, not of a NFL team. You know, he reminds me a lot of Cliff Kingsbury, uh, and at least, at least Cliff Kingsbury has a commanding presence, but he doesn't really want to be a head coach. Uh, I don't know how much Kellen Moore wants to, uh, but they are similar from the standpoint that both are well-respected for their offensive acumen and what they can bring to the table as far as, as maybe running an offense. But I want to ask this question, David, now, you know, we, we've seen what Nick Sirianni did with Jalen Hurts, right? 
took a guy mm-hmm. that, uh, that, you know, halfway through last year just didn't look like to me like an NFL quarterback. I really felt like this guy is really a backup quarterback. That's the best he's ever going to be. And now look at him. He's a, a, you know, an MVP finalist. So isn't it incumbent upon Mike McCarthy, now that he is the offensive coordinator, to do what he said he was going to hit or what he said he did back in 2019 and was looking at every one of the plays in the NFL. And of course he said he ended up, he lied about that. Just <laughs> yeah, to get maybe not so much, but yeah, <laughs> maybe not so much. He should, I think he should look at what, what the Eagles did last year when they decided midway through the season, you know what, this is not working. Let's make this offense. Let's tailor it to, to what he does the best, what Jalen Hurts does best. And let's see what happens with that. And that's exactly what's happened. Cause I got to tell you, my sons and I watch the Eagles play, and we just say, there's just no way he's this good. But every time he takes off, there is nobody in front of him. It's not like he's busting tackles when he's running. It, 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 every, it seems like every play the Eagles run on offense is just perfect for what they're trying to do. Well, yeah, I, I think you will definitely see changes. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy, when asked – uh, last week in a season-ending press conference before uh, determination had been made on Kellen Moore when when asked about the offense, said that, hey, look, th- this offense isn't the same it was uh, when I came in here. Uh, it's really changed quite a bit. He said, now we kept the terminology the same. Uh, we kept some of the elements in that Dak likes. But this offense is is different now than it was when I got here, and it will be even more different next season. Uh, so, you know, th- this is about th- things will be executed exactly the way and fit the vision that Mike McCarthy has going forward. Now, I think there was always some, uh, discussion and how do you bring this together? Uh, there, there won't be that anymore, but you're right. This is all about making Dak more effective and more consistent than what he showed this year. I, I will say, you know, He's not the runner that he was before. Now, he's a no. physical guy. Uh, and I know people say run all the time or, or run him more. I agree to run him more in selective spots. But basically, I like running him in the red zone or when things break down on a third and eight. Uh, I don't know about the RPOs like you did early in his career. I don't think at this stage of his career, look at him when he gets open. He doesn't have the speed he did earlier. Uh, no. you know, since, since the injury. So, um, so that element's a little bit different, but he is a more accurate quarterback. He's better at throwing deep down the field and he should recognize things more than he did at that stage of his career. So look, Kevin McCarthy, this Mike, Kevin McCarthy, Mike McCarthy is going into his fourth season. <laughs> I, I apologize. To, the to both men. I apologize to both <laughs> men. Kevin McCarthy at least won the big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, after, after 15 votes. After yeah. 14 losses, he came back and he won the big one. So yeah. There you go. Well, one of 15, and he's a winner. That's it's, right. It's this completely different playing field. But, um, and what you said earlier, Mike McCarthy is going into his fourth season of a five-year contract. This team, in my mind, is clearly better than the one he took over. They have made progress, but now you get you get to this ceiling that they've been unable to crack for 27 years, which is getting past the NFC Championship game. Only two other teams in the NFC haven't done it uh, during that period. And 
yeah, Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott are tied together even more than they have been in these first three years from this point going forward. And both of them need each other. Yeah, I think this is a referendum on both of them. Um, Well, uh, let me ask you this, both of you guys, this, and let's let's both take this thing. I think we get the idea now of who Dak Prescott is, at least I do. So you should. Yeah. Yeah. So is Dak Prescott the kind of guy who can carry a team to a championship? Evan, you go first. Well, I, I said this last week. I, I I feel like the Cowboys can get to the Super Bowl with Dak Prescott as the quarterback. I don't feel like he's capable of putting this team on his back and making all the plays to carry them through three consecutive rounds of the playoffs. So uh, they've either got to give him more weapons. You know, I know we'll get into a little bit of the of what we learned out of the NFC Championship game. But, Kevin, I was texting you the other day about looking at the Eagles running back core, and you look at, you know, maybe Tony Pollard's better than Sanders, but they also come back with Gainwell and Boston Scott, and and the Cowboys certainly don't have that kind of of faith in Malik Davis. So they've either got to find more depth and more weapons for him, or Dak's got to make a big improvement. And which do you think is more likely as a quarterback enters his age 30 season? David, uh, what do you think? <clears throat> Dak is so polarizing. And, you know, I, I found people, and not that social media should give us a gauge on what public opinion is all the time. And I think we probably see to it too often and go, this is what everyone thinks. And it's not. It's just the most active people out there. So it does give you a skewer view. But people are either all in or all out on Dak Prescott. It's either the guy's got nothing, it's time to move on, he's never won a big game, why do you continue to tie your franchise hopes to him? Or it's, are you kidding me? This guy's the only good thing they have going for him. Uh, You're the one who got rid of Amari Cooper. You're the one who did this. You're the one who did that. Uh, He can carry a team to a Super Bowl. But I think as he's about to enter his eighth season, in my mind, it's very clear he's not you can win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. There's absolutely, positively no question in my mind that can happen. Can he carry a team to the Super Bowl and once he gets there, win it? No. I think that is an unrealistic expectation for him and, by and large, the vast majority of quarterbacks in this league. And I'll, give, and I'll throw this out for everyone who says, Dak can do no wrong, and and most of those interceptions were on the on his receivers. Look at his inferior receivers, and look what he didn't have around him. Patrick Mahomes, AFC Championship game. They lost Tariq Hill. They were losing receivers over the course of the game. They don't have a good running game. He makes plays to win game. He he carried them to the Super Bowl for the third time. That is. Now, again, people go, well, but Mahomes is, is you know, the top quarterback in the league right now. Yes, he is. But there's, that's what we're talking about. That's a different plateau than Dak Prescott is on. And people need to accept it's not bad to be on the second plateau. It's not bad to be a top 10 quarterback, even if you're in the 8 to 10 range. That's still a good place to be and gives you a leg up on most of the franchises in the league. So then it's incumbent on you to structure the team around him that makes sense, that can make up for that talent gap between an elite quarterback and a transcendent quarterback and a very, very good quarterback, which is what Dak is. 
It's also the I, difference, David, between going to the Super Bowl three times in what four years and yes. trying to win, trying to get to one Super Bowl. And yes. to compare Dak to Mahomes or to compare Dak to Burrow, you know, th- th- I, I think that's unfair. But after you get past those, and maybe Jalen and, and, and maybe Josh Allen, I, I think Jalen Hurts has got to put another year together of this. I, it, it is kind of wide open as to anywhere between four and ten. I just think that what we all agree on here is that he can't do it by himself. And if he's going to get there, it's going to have to be because he's got other weapons and it's a more balanced attack, both offensively and on defense. I mean, I think they've gotten to the point defensively where they're a Super Bowl capable team, but I think it's got to be a good defense and a good diversified offense. And the NFC is going to be wide open again next year. Even if Philadelphia wins, they will not be a clear-cut favorite heads and shoulders above every other team in the NFC because look what defensive coordinators will do to Jalen Hurts next year after they've seen what's worked for him. Look, here's, here's the thing you have to, to, to do. All you have to do is look at the history of the Super Bowl and the quarterbacks who've played in it. Uh, it is filled with quarterbacks who couldn't come close to a Hall of Fame, not to their college Hall of Fame, probably. So, you know, to, to say that that can get you is ridiculous. Now, the, the difference is that a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, like Evan said, can get you there three times in four years. Uh, that's the difference of, that a guy like that makes. But he's also a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback. I, I would say that Patrick Mahomes right now on the uh, the, uh, the curve he's at right now is is challenging Tom Brady for the greatest of all time. I mean, he's he's going to put himself right up in that conversation, and and of course we know that's what Aaron Rodgers was, and and that might be what what uh, uh, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow are headed towards as well, and maybe even Justin Herbert if it, if Kellen Moore helps him out. But all those and guys, most of those guys are the AFC quarterbacks as well. Yeah, and that's the other side of this argument of having a quarterback that can carry you to a Super Bowl. Well, fine. Before Patrick Mahomes, who was the unquestioned transcendent quarterback in the league? Aaron Rodgers. One Super Bowl title. One. Now, his credentials, you think of him more than that because they were always in an NFC championship game. They were always right on the doorstep. They didn't break through, but one title. Drew Brees, one title. Peyton Manning wound up with two, but the last came at the end of his career when it was the run game and the defense around him rather than what he was doing leading the team. So, you know, you can carry this whole quarterback can carry you to a Super Bowl too far because they don't have a lot of titles either. Now, of course, Brady hoarded so many through the years that, that uh, uh, you know, warps the, uh, warps the totals, but uh, it, still, it still stands. The premise still stands. I'm going to say one last thing before we get up our Cowboys segment about this with Dak, and this is what plays into what I'm talking about here, of trying to make this team. Uh, there's a formula out there, and it just kind of screams at you, and it is that when Dak throws between 20 and 30 passes, uh, he has about, a, I think, about a, a 680 winning percentage. Uh, it's when he throws more than 30 passes that he starts to get into trouble. And what that tells you is is that when he's turning around and they have a good running game and they're and they're – and they're taking care of the ball, and they're not turning it over, this is a very successful kind of, of team. And, if, and frankly, that's what it was for Troy Aikman as well. I mean, Troy Aikman won three Super Bowls throwing about, on the average, about 28 passes a game uh, because they had such a great running game, and they didn't turn the ball over. So there is a formula there to win. Uh, and you and I think that was my, my biggest problem with Kellen Moore at times, like a lot of young offensive coordinators today, they just get wrapped up in it. They get caught up in the moment. And let's get out there and start 
flinging this thing all over the place and see what happens. Uh, and it just doesn't work for Dak Prescott and not for this Cowboys team. But I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at this, right? Patrick Mahomes. We just talked about Dak and how how slower how much slower he is now after the injury. And we saw Patrick Mahomes on a high ankle sprain who limped around the whole game when they absolutely needed a play to be made. He used his feet to do it. And I still think Dak has that ability. And whoever is calling the plays, obviously Mike McCarthy, or whoever is the quarterback coach next year, is going to have to be a voice that gets to Dak Prescott to say, your legs can still be a valid weapon for us. They don't need to be in every play or in every series weapon, but they can still be a weapon for us. So it's like David said, and no question, especially when you get in the red zone, that is what he presents for you. Remember when Tony Romo, when he took over for Romo, what the deal was is that look what this guy brings you that Tony did. When you get in the red zone, this guy can run with it. Tony couldn't right. do that. And so as, as gifted a passer as Tony was, he was he was no threat at all with his feet uh, and other than just trying to, you know, to get in position to make a throw. He was not going to run anywhere with the ball. So, yes, Dak still has to do that, and they have to figure out a way to make that happen. All right, that does it for the Cowboys segment of our podcast. We're going to move over now to the Rangers. They had a little uh, – they have their little uh, winter caravan that goes around and does uh, things and sees people. This is just such a, a throwback, isn't it, Evan, this whole idea of – I get a picture of these guys in their little van, and they're driving around, and, and they're stopping at Dairy Queens, and uh, they're, they're telling stories, and Tom Greaves – you know, telling them stuff and got a big bag of cookies and passing them out and making sandwiches for everybody. Is that is that what goes on in these winter caravans? <laughs> it's pretty pretty much that, except that they only stop at places that pay them a great deal of money, which this year I think was Kroger. Um, and there are long lines of fans lined up to get autographs. And I don't know. I, I, I think this year they actually cut out the sandwich making. It, it, it used to be. You know, you'd or, you could order from like a cold cut, a roast beef, turkey, uh, egg salad, but but no more. Uh, you can no longer order the Rangers to make you a sandwich. That's what happens when you, you know, when you have a real payroll. Guys are not going to make sandwiches anymore. That's terrible. Well, Evan, tell us about what uh, what it was like the fan fest uh, and uh, and what. Well, I, you know, I I, I think that the interesting stuff at fan fest were. I, I was interested to see Corey Seager, um, who we really haven't heard from since the end of the season. Was interested to see the kind of chemistry between the three big free agent signing pitchers that they brought in. And I, I thought that everybody, look, you put your best face forward at FanFest, and you, it, it, it is a time to be optimistic. And certainly with the number of additions the Rangers have made over the last couple of years, there is reason to be optimistic. But I really did feel like um, – this was an opportunity for Corey Seager to reintroduce himself to fans. And I thought he did. I thought he did a really good job with both fans and with media. He seemed much more at home than he did at any point in time last year. Seemed much more at ease. He talked a little bit about being at, at, at Jacob deGrom's press conference. And, you know, I couldn't get over to talk to him there because the players who were there all scattered um, from the sidelines the minute that, uh, that, that deGrom spoke uh, or, or the minute he finished speaking. So this was really my first chance to talk to him, and I asked him about it, and he, he did, you know, he acknowledged, look, I yeah, I probably did have a giant smile on my face the whole time because this is the vision that, that we've talked about, and 
Also, I'm very happy that I never have to face Jacob DeGrom again because I, I probably faced him more than anybody on this team, and it was an absolutely miserable experience. So um, he cracked a couple of jokes. Uh, he talked about getting together with Bruce Bochy uh, about two weeks ago. He talked about the difficulty that he that he in, encountered last season in, in really the first time going through losing, being the centerpiece of a franchise, all of that stuff. And I just felt like this winter has been an opportunity for him to digest a year that was a lot like trying to eat an elephant. And he was he was able to sit down and, and kind of put all that in his rearview mirror. Um, the three pitchers did a Q&A with fans, um, DeGrom, Heaney, and Uvalde, in which really, I, I asked them afterwards, it's the first time these guys had really been together at all. Uh, they'd, know, they, they'd known each other through the grapevine and had met each other previously, but they hadn't interacted as, as a group. And they, too, seemed to have some chemistry. And I think that at the end of the day, this pitching staff and the identity that this starting rotation creates is going to be a big part of this team's identity in 2023. For me, it got off to a really good start with those guys seeming to have some instant ability to click with one another. And as, as, as Heaney said, you know, when you've got that, you push each other a little bit. Everybody wants to keep up in step with the other guy. And it is both, um, uh, a competition, but inspiration at the same time. So you bring up the fact that, uh, Corey Seager was like trying to eat an elephant last year. Is it possible that he's the one behind all these problems at the, at the Dallas Zoo? <laughs> What's going on I, there? I, I, this is a really creepy story, Kevin. I, 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 I hope we get to the bottom of this, but this is exceptionally creepy. Is it not? Yeah, it really is. Well, I, you know, I'm just, listen, I'm entertaining all possibilities. They, it seems like someone ought to be able to figure that out, though. Do they not have cameras out at the Dallas Zoo? That's what I want to know. Is there is there not? Have they heard of that whole thing? Can we get the what is that uh, on the on your doorbell? Can we just get a few of those put up out there? I can go out there and do that if they would like, or at least I, mean, I don't know. Stand around. Notice what's going on. Uh, we need see. to post some armed guards out there. I mean, vultures, monkeys. It's all, uh, it's all happening out leopards. there. Leopards. No, no, nothing seems to be safe out there, and it's. I, when I saw that story yesterday about the two monkeys that had gone missing, I'm like, it's like every day now somebody's just going up there cutting wires and saying, "I'll just grab a monkey today." Yeah, it's going it, to be a it's, it's going to be a Dateline thing. Maybe that's maybe that's the deal. It's like uh, take a monkey home with you day. If you go actually, to the maybe that day. should be that should be our new podcast. What's who's missing? Only murders in the zoo. Yeah, there we go. There um, we go. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack this entire thing, but uh, no, that's okay. I I, uh, I count on sidetracking, but I, I I do think look that this team is. Well, let me have, a, first of all, when you say something. I want to ask about Corey Seager specifically. This is fascinating to me that they would even smile. First of all, I don't think I've ever seen him smile. Uh, and, and secondly, uh, we'll see if this carries over into the season, right? If he's still going to be as open and engaging as all that. But what does that tell you, Evan, that all of a sudden he's had this personality makeover? Unless he's had some really good therapy, uh, you know, I have to believe he was not happy, even though Chris Woodward was his guy, right? I have to believe that he's, he's he likes where the Rangers are right now, that there's something that's happened here 
Somebody said something to him that made him think, you know what? Okay, this is not going to be so bad after all. Well, I think some somebody said something, and that is, look, we just signed another pitcher, and then a couple hours later said we signed another pitcher. They, they, they have gotten better, and they were an awful pitching team last year. Um, I don't know that we th- – this is a guy who might – my observations of Corey Seager are that this is a guy who borders on OCD. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think he's got a very detailed routine that he likes to stick to. Um, and and I think when all the obligations that came along with trying to fix a team that was broken from the start uh, kind of fell on him, I don't think he reacted uh, as well as anybody would like to see. I don't know that he'll ever be the kind of guy who laughs and smiles and is Trey Turner on, on, on the field, but I do think you will see a guy who feels a little bit more comfortable both with his double play partner and with his other teammates. Um, I just think that that was, for a guy who's so set in his routine, and his routine really for seven years in the big leagues had been to just show up and play and the Dodgers were going to win, last year – was a real um, a, a real change and a real challenge. And I think it takes some time to digest that sometimes. All right, Evan, uh, before we get out of the Rangers podcast, I want a, a segment of this podcast. I want to talk to you about this left field situation in the middle of the order bat. That still hasn't happened. Uh, do you think they will add an outfielder before spring training starts? Well, you know, I think they added a very intriguing non-roster outfielder in Clint Frazier, who five years ago nobody could touch because he was a top prospect, one of the top prospects in baseball. Um, certainly he hasn't developed, but that's another that's another option. Um, I, I think as long as David Peralta is out there, you have to think that, that he's a possibility for the Rangers. Um, I don't know if the looming – issues with Bally Sports and Diamond Sports and Sinclair Broadcasting that could impact teams getting their local rights fees uh, has anything to do with the Rangers suddenly deciding to to halt spending or not. Um, but I, I, I think that as long as Peralta's out there, his price certainly isn't going to go up, and, and I think that's a possibility. And I do think that the Rangers are willing to go into spring training and take a look at some idea of a platoon out there. I, I did ask Chris Young the other day, like, look, you, you went into the offseason knowing that left field had been a dreadful situation for this team last year. Um, you have not significantly addressed it. And his take was, listen, I don't think that our left field situation will be a negative this year. It may be neutral, but it won't be negative. And as long as it's not a negative, I think we can, we have a chance with that. And there are some guys with upside in in Thompson and Duran and Smith. And listen, last week they had that they had a leadership mini camp. And I look around, and there's Aaron Zavala, Evan Carter, and Dustin Harris all talking to one another. And any of those three prospects could potentially be in the big leagues before the season is over without thinking that they're being terribly rushed. So I, I think they're trying to be as, as meticulous as they can at looking at what they've got, preparing for the future, 
and not just jamming up, not just jamming things up with a free agent for the sake of a free agent. They were interested in Michael Conforto. That didn't happen, and they reacted by strengthening the pitching staff further with Yavaldi. Uh, from here, I think it, it's it's a little bit of let's see what we've got in camp, and there's always time to add somebody late. Yeah, I could see them adding somebody on a one year deal for sure. Um, but I think what you're what you're saying is that I, I, my my guess is the reason they have not added a, a an outfielder, a free agent outfielder, is that because of the of the compensation for that, and which you might lose in in, uh, in draft picks, but also uh, that you don't want to sign him to a two or three or four year deal because. Right because of all these young guys you've got coming up and the, and the possibilities they project. I just say, you know, and, and anybody would tell you this, and certainly in baseball, it's true. There is no such thing as a bad one-year contract. Uh, so if you if you can give a guy that, and it doesn't matter if one of those guys comes along or not, there's still plenty of room and there's plenty of time to get out of that. So, all right, that's going to do it for the Rangers segment of our podcast. Uh, I w- we want to get over and talk a little about the Mavericks. Uh, David, I was really intrigued by this whole storyline from uh, the Mavericks win uh, Monday night over the Pistons, uh, in which uh, Luca dropped fifty three points. Uh, which you know, it's just not even that big a deal anymore. You know, when uh, when we hear that he scores that many, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, uh, no big deal. Uh, only only Rick Barry has scored as many fifty point games before the age of twenty three or up to the age of twenty three than Luca has. Um, Rick Barry was pretty good, uh, so. Uh, but it's but the fascinating thing to me about that game last night was that he's chirping with a Pistons assistant. Now, Dave, you covered a lot of NBA games. Uh, I, I know that uh, you know in, in any other sport, football, baseball, whatever. If one of the coaches on one team is is yelling at, uh, or maybe not yelling, but having a conversation with uh, an opposing player, that seems kind of weird. You know, we we kind of act like, what in the heck is he doing? Why don't he just shut up? And if I'm the manager and one of my coaches is is uh, chirping with a guy constantly, I'm going to tell him that. Uh, but in this case, Dwayne Casey, it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't have any problem with it. Uh, and it's like, but except for the fact that, yeah, he, you just maybe caused this guy to go off for 53 points. Uh, so what is it about the NBA culture that it's okay for assistant coaches to be chirping at opponents? Well, clearly Luca uses that as fuel, right? He, he wants to get into a running dialogue with with someone on the opposing team, whether it's a player, a coach, or I would even say an equipment manager uh, <laughs> during every game. That's just one way he stays engaged, and it's kind of part of his competitive routine, I would say. And, and we've seen enough of it to know that I, I think it's fair to say he seeks that out, right? He's the one that initiates a lot of these conversations, and it's just whether or not someone else will let it go. Two, I'll go back to, um, and I know this is a long way back, but but Larry Bird was a lot like this. He he talked trash all the time, and because he would love to get somebody to say something, or get them distracted was what the primary focus was, or to get them to say something and then to to take that as a challenge and come right back at them and and uh, say, well, what do you think now, or how about that? And, and there's there's so many examples of that. But what you had with him was uh, when players on other teams engaged, and sometimes it was uh, head coaches, uh, assistant coaches. Now the stats were a lot smaller back then, so there were uh, fewer there were fewer guys to uh, entrap in a conversation. But 
after a while, what you had was everybody on that team would start yelling at whoever it was was going back and forth with Larry Bird because they were going, dude, what are you doing? You know what he wants. You know, don't give him anymore. I mean, just, you know, leave him alone. Don't respond. This is what he wants. And I'm I'm a little surprised more teams haven't taken that approach with Luca. Uh, just say, hey, shut it down. Don't get involved with him. Um, let's see how he does if he doesn't have a, a, a mortal enemy in every game or, or someone to trash talk with. Uh, three, NBA is just different from other sports. It really trash talking is part of the culture, um, and it's always been more accepted there. I mean, you know, the idea of when, when Cowboy fans were incensed where Terrell Owens ran to the star and, and you know, made a pose and, and George Teague is still, like, revered because he went out and tackled him. Um, you know, players in the NBA were just rolling their eyes, just going, that's funny. What's wrong with that? You know, th- this, is what, this is what we do on a nightly basis. So it's, it's very much a culture of the league, but... Um, yeah, it's just it's just ingrained in, in the NBA, and, and and it goes back to I think how a lot of these guys grew up uh, playing on the play, playgrounds, uh, just making it fun, and part of the whole thing was to talk and uh, chatter at your opponent because underlying it was always the idea of I can distract them in some way that's going to give me an edge up. You know, you brought up Larry Bird, and it reminded me of a time when I went. To, I was working on a story uh, about Indiana basketball. This was back in the '90s, and and so I, you know, went out to. Uh, I guess uh, they were playing. The Celtics were playing on the West Coast, and I must have been out there for something else as well. But at any rate, I I, I got to watch a, a Celtics practice, and uh, and just sat through it, and it was fascinating to watch Larry afterward. You know, after the practice is over, there's still guys on the floor. And he's just taking on everybody and and basically, figuratively, pulling their pants down. I mean, it was just like whatever he could do to embarrass a teammate he was going to do. And he just went right down the roster. Every Everybody out there, he did something to make them look bad and then made fun of them for it. It was just and, – and, of course, there I'm sure a lot of it was, you know, fairly good-natured. And, obviously, Larry was a great player, and they're going to put up with whatever Larry wanted to do. But it was just fascinating to me. The, the, the butt of most of it was Danny Ainge, which was really funny. Yes. Uh, who ended up being the GM <laughs> of the Celtics. But uh, to, to watch that happen in a practice, it was fascinating to me to see it. This, this superstar felt it necessary to do this kind of thing in practice. And, and I think it was part of what made Larry what he was, a guy who's not, in, in some ways, very much like Luca, not terribly gifted athletically, uh, but his sheer force of will and his ability to get himself up for these games and these, even in practice, I think is a, a lot of what we see in Luca. You know, the, the fact that he does talk himself into these things, and he is really a brilliant player. Uh, I think that's one of the things that really goes on un, unsaid. It's not an unsaid about him, but it, it's not a, a, a talked about enough about how smart he is and what he does. And when he goes into most of these situations, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows where he's going to go with the ball if they present this to him. Uh, so, but David, I, I want to kind of spin off that now and let's talk a little bit about what it is uh, that the Mavericks are going to have to do at this point, because the, the trade deadline is looming here and uh, next, I guess it's the end of next week. Is it not February the 10th coming up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, can the Mavericks 
pull a deal. I have, I have, I have talked to people out there, and and the feeling seems to be that well, if you're an opponent, who do you want off this roster? Uh, other than Christian Wood, maybe, and obviously Luca. Uh, but you you want draft picks, right? Well, the, well, the Mavericks don't have a first round draft pick this year, um, so you're going to have to take one from from down the line because uh, they can't give up their one next year because they've lost this one. So you're talking about the 2025 pick is the is the first pick you can uh, could get from the Mavericks. So let me ask you that first of all: Do you think that the Mavericks could make a trade or would make a trade before the deadline? Well, you're just making a trade for the sake of a trade. I mean, you could do that, but you you need to have leverage at the trade deadline to really make a deal that makes sense for you. Um, you know, they had leverage when they had the unicorn. That was a player that people were going to give up assets for. Um, you know, and uh, so so they were able to move Kristaps Porzingis, um, but now. In essence, what you have are a lot of role players who are very good at their roles, but are not going to be more than a third or fourth best player on a team that's competing for a title. So how much are those teams going to give up for that? And if it is a player who's more talented uh, or has a contract that you don't like, there's going to be a tremendous flaw associated with that. So I just don't know this team as constructed uh, what it can do uh, currently. Uh, to me, I think they, they've gotten themselves into a spot where um, if, if Mark Cuban doesn't spend and go and is willing to spend luxury tax and go forward to put uh, cost above and beyond what the salary cap is to build this team, uh, I, I think their hands are really tied behind their backs because their their second most valuable asset that you could have gotten something for is now doing an outstanding job with the New York Knicks and you lost them in free agency for nothing. So yeah. when you lost that and oh, what well you did get a second round pick in return right because of the tampering I guess but um, when you clearly. Jalen Brunson was the your second most valuable asset the way last season played out. And when you lose him for nothing, but you still have all see, he he made all these other role players more valuable because now suddenly they're kind of fitted in where they should be, right? You're three, four, five, six, seven. Now suddenly when them when your second best is gone, and Christian Wood with the injury and, and how this is going is a little different. But now you're slotting guys in a chair ahead of where they should be, if you will, as far as their impact on the team. And plus, a lot of them have been injured, too. So, um, yeah, th- this season's had no flow to it. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of, I think, good quality role players. But what are you going to get for good quality role players? You would have to package two or three of them together. And then suddenly, what does your depth look like? So I don't see them doing anything that's going to make them better this year. And they have to be careful of not packaging too many of these guys together and then looking up, you know, next year and going, well, we have no depth. We're only a, a, a you know, five-man team. See, the, the problem for me with this roster is as it's constructed, I don't mind having a lot of role players around Luca because, um, frankly, it's going to be hard to find a second star to play next to him because this, you know, any guy who consider would consider a number two 
generally speaking, is going to be a guy who's going to want the ball, right? And sure. Luka's so ball-dominant, it's hard to do that. That's what made Jalen Brunson so valuable to this team. And I know that Mark Cuban makes the argument that, oh, this was all out of our hands and and he was going to go to the Knicks all along. It's like, uh, not not last summer, not the summer before last. When you, when you gave that deal to Dorian Finney-Smith, you valued him over Jalen Brunson at that point. And at that point, you could make the argument about who was more valuable, right? Yeah. Uh, and, but as it turned out, obviously Jalen was. Because look what, what Dorian Finney-Smith has done this year. I mean, he's still a, a nice defensive player, but he's not progressed at all offensively. Well, Dorian uh, was more valuable when you still had Kristaps Porzingis and you were trying to make that work. Uh, yes. But when Kristaps is gone, now suddenly Brunson's the second guy. And it's like and, – and here's the other thing, too. Let's take the Knicks out of the equation and this, this you know – you know, inexorable lure there that was going to happen regardless. I mean, you brought it up. It's going to take a, a special player with the skill level to be the second best player on the team to subjugate what he can be in order to make it work with Luca. And you've seen this before with young, you know, that's why in my mind, it almost needs to be a veteran player who's at a different stage of his career, but is still distinctly, uh, you know, the, the second player behind uh, Luka Doncic. It, it's because, to me, Jalen Brunson is an example. Yeah, he worked great with with uh, with Luka and was willing to sacrifice parts of his game to make it work for the team. But he was also a young player with the drive to show there was more to him than being, you know, the second banana. And so now he's getting to show that in New York. And I think people around the league are going, Wow, well, Jalen Brunson's better than I thought. And and they wouldn't view him this way if he hadn't gotten out of Luca's shadow. And Luca is such a transcendent player. Um, it you know, it worked with Chicago because because I think Scottie Pippen's temperament uh was able to fit to be uh the second guy, the the one who's a clearly distant second best player, uh, and and was fine with, you know. Michael Jordan, all the accolades, but even then he began to chafe a little bit later in his career, right? That, that, that created some friction. Uh, I think the, you know, just the, the personalities of all this make it very difficult uh, when you have a transcendent player like that. And and now uh, Dallas doesn't have any good young player on the roster to develop where you could see being the, the second best guy right now. So how do you go about it? Yeah, it's a real conundrum, and the and the deal is, is okay if we if we say that all right, there's no nothing they can do now. They need to let some of these contracts expire, and then they try to rebuild. And obviously, that's one of their considerations here is in a couple of years that most of these contracts will be up. But the problem with that is that you're letting Luca get older. You know, you're letting him uh, to to use up these MVP type performances he's putting up. And how much longer is he going to be willing to put up with this? Exactly. I, I would. I mean, does I would he look suggest, up and say, "Hey, what 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 are y'all doing? I, I'm going to yeah. go somewhere else." Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. This is the thing you can see happen after this year. If they are not at least competitive, and, and you know, I I think they'll make the playoffs. Uh, but if they're not at least competitive, I think Luke is going to look at this like eh, start making some noise about next year. If they're not making another run towards the, the conference finals, he's going to make, make, start making noise about wanting to get out if he does not see that there is a path forward for this team. And they and they take a, a strong path at that. Yeah, this is a very tricky because again, they they made the Western Conference Finals when no one expected them to, right? Yeah. So now suddenly that's the expectation. 
but they lose their second best player along the way. And now everyone's going, oh, what's wrong with the team this year? Well, this is really kind of what we should have expected for a team losing their second best player with who they had around them, especially with all the injuries in place. But but another thing very quickly, just because I don't want to minimize this 53-point game he had against Detroit. It was his fourth 50-point game this year, I guess, and what, the, the fifth since he's been in the league and and Kevin, you quoted the the Rick Barry stat, which which is a great one. Here's another one I came across, and and to me this shows on, on two levels. Luca now is one of there are only three players in the last fifty years in the NBA have had five or more fifty point games through their first five seasons. It is Luka Doncic with five, LeBron James with five. And Michael Jordan with 17. So, and again, I think Luca's a wonderful player, but when everyone talks about, you know, is he one of the best? I mean, look at that gap right there. And it just kind of reinforces how dominant and how far ahead of the game was Michael Jordan was at the time. Yeah, no question about that. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you listening. We hope you're going to stay safe and stay inside and stay warm. Uh, and we will be back next week. We'll be talking more about the Cowboys. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about what they're going to do with their own free agents. And we're going to kind of do this in stages and talk about eventually in, in following podcasts about who they might be attracted to as free agents, and then, of course, what they'll do in the draft. So that's all coming up for you as the, as the season progresses. And, of course, we're going to have the Rangers in spring training preview next week. So it's going to be a lot of stuff happening. We hope you'll come back to hear all of that. And so from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.